Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Exodus chapter 20, we're beginning this Sunday to talk about the Ten Commandments, and Exodus chapter 20 contains those Ten Commandments, and uh, I'll say this later on as well, but we're going to spend probably a couple of weeks, probably three weeks on uh, this chapter, Exodus chapter 20, but let's read it. We're not going to read the entire chapter, almost the entire chapter this morning, Uh, but would you follow along with me as I begin reading in Exodus chapter 20, verse number one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Number uh, Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And verse number 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now Exodus chapter 20 is one of the most famous uh, sections of the entire Bible. In fact, is one of the most important pieces of religious literature um, in the world of all time, ever. It's one of the most uh, famous pieces of uh, religious literature. And we recognize this passage, of course, and we refer to it as the Ten Commandments. However, uh, that description is never actually given in the text. When, When this passage 
is referenced later in the book of Exodus, and, and then when it is referenced again um, even later in the book of Deuteronomy, the Hebrew word that is used about this section of Scripture literally means ten words. Ten words. That's why Exodus chapter 20 is sometimes called the Decalogue. Deca, uh, Greek word meaning ten, log or logos, meaning word. So whether you call it uh, the Decalogue, whether you call it ten words, whether you call it ten commandments, this chapter, as we've seen, contains ten specific statements from God to Israel, his people, that forms the basis of his covenant that he is making with them here at at Sinai. Now, it'll take several weeks, as I said, uh, at least three weeks for us to cover all of these verses. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk uh, first about the use of the Ten Commandments specifically and more generally the Mosaic Law, which these ten words or these ten commandments actually introduce and, and summarize. So that's important for us to do that because some Christians operate on the mistaken belief, I said the mistaken belief, that the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable to us because, well, that's the Old Testament and now we are in the New Testament. They'll say, well, that was the law, but now we are under grace. And let me say this, there is some truth to that statement. And in fact, the New Testament does suggest that um, the old is passing away now that the new has come. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. However, um, that belief, that mistaken notion has also led some to believe that Christians are free to disregard the Old Testament law, including uh, the Ten Commandments, that they can, they can just disregard the Old Testament and the law in, entirely. And, and that, is a, that is a heresy that is called antinomianism, which is, again, a combination word of anti, which means against, and nomos, which means law. Antinomianism distorts the doctrine of grace and, and it drains salvation of the transformative power that it has to change somebody's life uh, forever. So antinomianism is a heresy. There remains, the point I'm making this morning is that there remains a legitimate use for the Old Testament law in New Testament grace. There, there remains a legitimate use for Old Testament law in the New Testament uh, system of grace. That's something that Paul says to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, when he says to Timothy, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So in other words, we have to understand the proper use of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments in particular. So I want to take just a few minutes today and, and I want to explain the different ways uh, that the law may be used and how 
um, those ways are applicable, if they are still applicable to us uh, today. First of all, let me begin with the obvious, um, which is a reference to who actually spoke these words. Did you notice that in verse number one? Verse number one leads with that information. It says, God spoke all these words. This is, this is not Moses just writing this time. Uh, these are the words that God himself actually spoke to the people of Israel. Unlike his previous communication with the descendants of Israel, this passage says God spoke directly to the people of Israel. This time he didn't speak through Moses. He didn't say to Moses, you tell them this. Um, so he did not use Moses as an intermediary this time. But God spoke these words directly to the people so that there could be no doubt that these commands, if we want to call them that, these commandments, and I think we're okay to, to, to do that, um, so that there could be no doubt that these commandments, these words, were not filtered through Moses. They, they, weren't, they weren't put into the words of somebody else or paraphrased by somebody else. These words were spoken by God. That's significant. That means that these are the very words of God. And the Bible says that God cannot lie and that God's words will never, never, I say never, never pass away. Therefore, these words are true and they remain true today. Somebody say amen. amen. Um, they remain true for us today. These words, these Ten Commandments represent the standards of holiness that God expects from his people and they bear the full weight of his authority, his justice, and his power, which is why in verses 18 and 19, the Bible says the people are filled with fear when God speaks to them. Because of the flashes of lightning and the thunder and the earthquake, the people are filled with fear and they shrink back at God's voice. They pull back at God's voice. It's because they have, as we said last week, they have caught a glimpse of God's awesome power. They've caught a just a glimpse of God's radiant glory and his and they have seen firsthand his unapproachable holiness. And now they have heard his voice. He himself telling them what he requires of them. And they are filled with fear. And they shrink back at his voice. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But for now it is important to understand that the law is good. Because it is the word of God. And God is good. Amen? So the law is good. The law is a reflection of, of God's moral character, his holiness, and his perfection. It, the law cannot be bad 
because the law was spoken by God. Now listen, it may be fearful for reasons that we'll discuss in more detail later, but, but as, a mo, as a code of moral conduct, the law, Ten Commandments in particular, um, the law is an expression of God's holiness. It's an expression of God's character. It is an expression of the kind of holiness that God requires of his people. Therefore, the law is perfect and the law is holy. Amen? I heard a popular preacher say one time that God um, broke the law in order to show grace. And listen, can I tell you this morning? I, I appreciate what I think he was trying to say and, and I agree with the spirit of what he was trying to say. However, it is, it is wrong to say that God can or that God would ever break his own law because God cannot violate his own words and he cannot change his own character. Amen. Do you understand that this morning? It's wrong to say he would break because his law is perfect and holy. It is who he is. <laughs> it reflects his, his holiness and his character. And he cannot violate his own word. He will not change his own character. If he could, he would not be God. <laughs> because he is perfect and holy. So the law is a portrait of God's character. And it is a description of moral holiness. So the law, the Ten Commandments in particular, remains a reliable word to the people of God concerning his character and the nature of holiness. Amen? So um, having said that, the law, however, does contain uh, many civil and ceremonial regulations that are that are related to that moral code uh, to the extent that these regulations that they apply to um, God's covenant people, the children of, of Israel. Now, um, those regulations that uh, apply to those covenant people, the children of Israel, to the extent that those regulations apply to us, the church has been changed by what Jesus Christ accomplished in his life and in his death and in his, in his resurrection. So in other words, there, there are many, and we'll, we'll talk more about these as we go through, as we finish going through the book of Exodus. There are many provisions and there are many practices that are related to the unique covenant that God has with the people of Israel those provisions, those regulations, those requirements, those practices, those things regulate worship about, uh, you know, some of these, you know, about what kind of animals you should sacrifice and what, how they're sacrificed. So those provisions regulate worship. They manage uh, marriage, who you can marry, who you can't marry, and they manage family. They guide the economy, so how you conduct business. If you're my people, this is how you do business. They control behavior. You can't do this. You can't do that. They govern those regulations, govern society in general. Now, those rules 
and those regulations, if we want to call them that, those things are not, they're not unrelated to the moral code of the Ten uh, Commandments. In fact, um, they're best understood as the application of the Ten Commandments. And, and in some cases, I'll even add this, in some cases, they are still an appropriate means for a child of God to conduct themselves and to live their life. However, those regulations, those covenant provisions, I'm calling them, those covenant provisions are different in that they were specifically applicable to the nation of Israel, but were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He fulfilled those regulations and those um, provisions. Therefore, those regulations are no longer binding on the church. So that's why we will not spend nearly as much time on the chapters that follow Exodus chapter 20 as we have on the chapters that have led up to Exodus chapter 20. Some of you are saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, because some of the chapters that follow Exodus 20 are filled with those regulations and those requirements. These are covenant provisions that were specifically applicable to the nation of Israel. But here's the good news. They have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And because they have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, they no longer apply to the church of Jesus Christ. Can you say praise the Lord? So a lot of those rules and regulations were covenant provisions. They no longer apply. In fact, this is, this is what the book of Hebrews means when it says this. Now listen, this is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion to look for the second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant." And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In verse 13, he says this, And in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, I want you to understand this morning, the writer is not saying that the Old Testament has passed away or that the moral code of the Ten Commandments established 
um, by the Ten Commandments in particular, that that moral code is no longer applicable to the people of God. No, he or she could be a female that's writing the book of Hebrews. Uh, He or she is saying the specific covenant provisions of that old covenant, those practices and those regulations are now obsolete because of Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled those regulations. Therefore, those rules no longer regulate how we should worship. They no longer regulate how we have to treat one another. Instead, the Bible says we are now governed by the perfect law of liberty, which is to love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So those regulations that have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ no longer apply to the church of Jesus Christ. So, so far I've talked about two uses for the law and how they relate to us today. First, the law, specifically the Ten Commandments, function, continue to function as a moral code which reveals the character of God and provides us with a standard of of holiness. That, That use of the law is eternal and it remains applicable uh, to us today. Second, the law, this time more generally, the civil rules and the worship regulations that are contained within the law, those function as a basis for the specific covenant that God established with the people of Israel. And those provisions were fulfilled by Jesus Christ, who has become the mediator of a new, a better covenant with us. Therefore, those no longer apply to uh, the church. But there is a third and a very important use for the law, which is arguably it is the most important use of the law. In fact, arguably it's the use that God intended for the law all along. And in order to tell you about that use, I have to remind you again of one purpose for which the law was never intended. Okay, by now maybe you know where I'm going with this already. I want to remind you of one use for the law that was never intended for the law. Um, The law was never intended as a means of salvation. Never intended as a means of salvation. Uh, Now listen, I've elaborated on that before. Um, But there's another clue right here in verse number two that reminds us of that. Where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, why is that important? It's because God is reminding Israel that he, he has saved them before he gave them the law. He has shown them grace and he has shown them mercy. Before he even gives them the law, he is saying, I want you to know you're saved by grace and by my mercy. And so the giving of the law was never a requirement for salvation. He did, not, he did not save them because they kept the law. He saved them and then gave them 
the law. That's a very um, important distinction. Salvation, let me say it again, salvation is never, ever, ever based on good works. Salvation is always only by grace alone through faith alone. No one is ever justified by keeping the law. The Bible bears that out. It says Abraham, who was before the law. Remember, the Bible says Abraham did what? He believed, and it was his faith, it was his belief that God counted as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. Um, uh, another example in the New Testament is the rich young ruler. You remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Master, how shall I obtain a, eternal life? And Jesus tests him and he says, well, you know the commandments. And he goes on and lists the commandments. And the rich young ruler says what? Oh, that's good news. I've done all of those things. I've kept, he said, I've kept the commandments since my youth. And Jesus says, oh, good. But one thing you still lack one thing you still lack. If keeping the law could save us, then the rich young ruler would have said, I'm in. I've kept the law. But Jesus said, no, you still lack one thing. What's the one thing that he lacked? It's faith. Faith is what saves us. Faith in the grace that God shows to those who call upon his name. So, um, the thing that saves us is grace uh, through faith. So the law cannot justify anyone. However, it does play an important role in salvation. And here's, here's the role that it plays. It makes us aware of our need for salvation. It makes us aware of our need for God's grace and his forgiveness. This is the case that Paul makes in Romans chapter 7 when he says in Romans chapter 7, apart from the law, um, if there was no law, then he says sin lies dead. There would be no awareness. There would be no recognition of sin in our life if it wasn't for the law. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. In other words, without the law, we're unaware that we are lawbreakers, and that we are guilty. Does that make, Paul says, does that make the law bad because it makes us sinners? He says, no, it, the law doesn't make us sinners. Paul says, the law is, this is, this is a quote from Romans chapter 7, the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law, Paul says, Paul is saying the law is not responsible for our sin. The law only reveals the sin that is already at work within me, producing death in my life. He says the law is spiritual. Here, this again is Paul. The law is spiritual. Paul says, but I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. In other words, Paul says, I'm, the law makes me aware that I'm a sinner and that I need God's grace and that I'm in bondage uh, without him. And at the end of that chapter, you'll recognize this. Paul moans 
at the end of Romans chapter 7, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course, the answer is who? Thanks be, Paul answers his own question, he says, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the law, its gospel use is that it makes us aware of our need for salvation, aware of our need for grace, and it, and it drives us to the cross and to Jesus Christ because we look at the law, God's perfect holy commandments, and we recognize that what? He is a great and he is an awesome God, perfect in holiness. And at the same time, we recognize, oh, wretched man that I am. I have failed and I have not, I have fallen short of God's glory. It makes us aware of our need for salvation and it drives us to the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Galatians, Paul says that the law is like a guardian. And that word is translated variously by different translations. It can be translated a taskmaster, a jailer, somebody who, who is a warden who holds you in jail. Paul says the law is like a guardian who holds us in prison because we are under conviction. By the, we have been convicted by the law we are lawbreakers. We are all sinners. And we all deserve God's punishment and wrath. And so the law holds us in prison under conviction until, until Christ comes and he sets us free. And Paul says this in Galatians, but now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And let, let me just real quickly explain. Paul's not being sexist there by calling us all sons uh, of God. He's saying we are all sons in the sense that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Because then women didn't have rights. Y'all know that by now, don't you? Women didn't have rights. They didn't have inheritances like the son did. The son was the one that received all of the father's blessings and benefits, right? You know that. So what Paul is saying that each one of us now, because Jesus Christ has come and set us free from the prison of our own sin and the death that is at work in our life. Now we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise Let me continue what Paul says right before I wrap up. He says, for as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, listen to this, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs 
according to the promise. Oh, isn't God good? Mike, would you come to the piano this morning? So the law is perfect and, and it's holy. It is a reflection of who God is. Beautiful. <laughs> perfect in his holiness. Radiant in his, in his glory. And you know, when, when we read the law, sometimes if we're not careful, we can be put off. Like the children of Israel were. When God spoke to them and said, here's my commands, these are my words, how do they react? Oh, just like Paul. Oh, wretched person <laughs> that I am. Oh, wretched people that we are. And they said to Moses, no, you speak to it. Don't let him talk to us because we, surely we're going to die. And so when we look into the perfect law, the righteous law of God, it is good, it is holy, it is pure. It is the holiness that God desires of each, of each one of us. But here's, here's the rub. We can't keep the law. It's impossible. Because Paul says the law is spiritual. I'm fleshly. There's at work in me this principle of sin and death that is operating in me. And it makes it impossible for me to fulfill the righteous requirements of God. But listen, here's how good God is. Here's how gracious God is. He knew that all along. <laughs> and he says, I just want you to know that you're a sinner. But I'm going to make a way for you to be redeemed, brought back, and made sons so that I can bestow all of my blessings upon you. Thank God for his law, amen, because it shows me my need for Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. I can't earn my salvation. I don't deserve it. God knew it all along. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that now we who are in Christ Jesus, we are recipients of his mercy, recipients of his grace. Amen. He gives us the law, not because by keeping the law we could be made perfect, but by having the law we can see our need for Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.